Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. First, I have something really special that I can't wait to share with you. Most of you know that I work by day as the CEO of a $31 million organization, and I coach a handful of clients in the evening. Now I have taken the tenets of mindful leadership and put that into a training program so that you can fast track your career leadership while also balancing that with a good night's sleep, healthy eating habits, and close relationships. I call this program Mindful Leader Satisfied Life. Not only will you have the training, you also get one-on-one coaching with me, not a group, one-on-one coaching with me so that we can unravel your personal assumptions that are holding you back. You will no longer be unnoticed, undervalued, and inadequate, feel judged, and that others think that there's something wrong with you and you start thinking there's something wrong with you too because you're getting passed over for promotions, new roles, no longer doing all the things you hear you should be doing. Sigh of relief, right? With only defeat and the fear that failure is in your DNA forever dogging you in the back of your mind. You'll no longer be disconnected from colleagues, friends, and family or following the shoulds that make you feel you're still behind the curve and might even lose everything altogether. No longer frustration about habits that show up in terms of snacking, disjointed relationships, vices, poor sleep. No longer making excuses while not actually getting any closer to high performance. So if you're interested in this program, all you have to do is go to my website, maryleegannon.com. Click on the link on the top that says Coach with Mary Lee. It explains all about the program. Fill out a few questions on the questionnaire so that I know a little bit more about you and I'll reach right out to you and we'll set up a time to talk and we'll get you started. No longer will you have to wake up and say, I missed an opportunity. I wish I had. Please remember that I can only take a few clients at a time and I already have a full book right now. So I'd like to make sure that you're on the list. Head over to maryleegannon.com. Click on Coaching with Mary Lee. Let's get started. Hello, leader. Welcome to episode 34 of the Still Space podcast. When you want to start over in mindset, career, or life. My story is living testament that anyone can turn his or her or their life around. At 35 years old, I was a stay-at-home mom with four children under seven and a self-employed husband. I had a two-year allied health degree at which I had been earning an average salary when I left the workforce to be a full-time mother 
My marriage had become intolerable, and I filed for divorce. A few months later, I was deluged by an overwhelming avalanche of litigation, anger, that resulted in the children and me going from residing in the most exclusive suburb of Pittsburgh to being homeless, carless, hungry. We went from the country club life to losing our home and becoming poverty-stricken, I guess you would say, all within a short span of time. What I have come to realize over the years following this time of despair is that people can only take away your things. They cannot take away your spirit, which is something you control. If you choose to allow others to take away your peace, your sense of humor, your ability to love and nurture, your integrity, then you have begun to value what the evil hold dear. Power, money, and material goods. And this isn't to say that as leaders we don't need to yield power and that there should be any guilt associated with earning the money that we deserve. But when that is all that you value, your behavior aligns with that and it usually is not likable. Nobody said that the one holding the most stuff gets the most peace in life. Have you ever noticed that sometimes those who value, quote, stuff tend to be manipulative, cunning, untrustworthy? Could it be because all of the trappings, these things don't settle a soul? The desire to acquire stuff can never be satisfied. There will always be more stuff to acquire. It is human nature to cling to and protect the things that you feel are yours. However, the true essence of who you are is not defined by the things around you. It is defined by the people around you. That's who we are as humans. We are made to connect. We're tribal. The people you value and the people who value you, that's what's important. It is realized by the emotion in your heart. I was so caught up in the litigation of my divorce and on the track of winning and losing. And that's what happens in court. Somebody wins, somebody loses. And the truth is the only winners are the lawyers because they're not really there working for you. Like it or not, they're working for themselves. They're creating work for themselves. So anytime you have to hire a lawyer, Yes, you're hiring them to represent you. That is different. They are working for themselves. An important thing to keep in mind. In times of great personal challenge, you realize very quickly what is truly important in your life. You must draw on your strengths, convert your weaknesses, and give thanks for the blessings around you. And this is exactly what I work with with my clients when I'm working with them in my program, because most people are on this treadmill of more. The American culture conditions you to believe you should be working harder. That's the answer to everything. It absolutely is not. That is fiction. But when we can make the shift to understand that all of these things that our culture is telling us we should value may not align with our personal values and have the courage to stand up and say, this is who I am, this is what I value, and I am going to work for this, then we have freedom. My children and I are grateful that we live in a country which has afforded us the ability to have survived during this crisis time in our lives on welfare, food stamps, (laughs) 
medical assistance. I mean, it was dreadful. We're grateful for the lessons we learned through this challenge. They delivered us from relying on public assistance to self-sufficiency. And then abundance. We're grateful for the people who guided us and mentored us along the way. It has contributed to who we are today. And I share the tenets that I've learned along my journey because I feel compelled to pay it forward. I found angels along the way who taught me a new way. And I want to be an angel for you to help you learn how we do not have to suffer. We can find freedom. Very early in our family's struggles, I realized that I was going to be the one to provide for my children and had to figure out a way to do so very quickly. Choosing to be a full-time mother, I hadn't worked outside the home in seven years. I was faced with crisis management. However, while at home, I had done a lot of writing for organizations in which I had volunteered and decided to send those clips, which are simply examples of my writing, to the largest local metropolitan newspaper in Pittsburgh. Much to my surprise, they hired me as a freelance reporter. And I began to write for a number of other magazines, news, and other professional publications. Now, keep in mind, I was not a trained journalist. I did not have a degree in journalism. I did not have uh, formal training in writing. But I felt that I could write well. I had identified writing as one of my signature strengths. And I went out on a limb. I took a risk. What was the worst that could happen? I could send the clips of my writing to editors and they wouldn't respond. Or maybe they would send me a letter back saying you're not good enough. I mean, rejection is is an awful feeling, but outing that and knowing that that is something that hurts is what can give us freedom. Because when we hide from it, we just won't take those stretch risks. We won't apply for stretch jobs. We won't show up at our best. We show up guarded and protected and small. So after I sent these clips to the newspaper, from there I earned a certification as an association management executive and went on to be a self-employed public relations consultant, business writer, trade association executive director, all work I did from home because I had a child with a developmental disability and somebody needed to be there to let in the therapist that needed to treat her. So people ask me where I got my confidence back then to apply for these positions in which I had little or no experience. I tell them it was because I never doubted that I could learn just about anything and I was willing to do whatever it took to meet the needs of my children. Some people will say, oh, well, you only succeeded because you were in crisis mode and if it weren't that bad, you wouldn't have stretched outside of your comfort zone. Um, I think there might be some truth to that, but I must tell you that when I was doing this, I was doing it intentionally. I was petrified. I knew that I didn't have any skills in any of these areas, so I went out and I taught myself everything that I know. I taught myself how to use the technology that was necessary. I taught myself how to meet people that were already doing the work that I wanted to do in the fields that I was interested in. I went to events without any background and talked to people. I learned from people. I made friends with people. But all of this comes from a mindset shift that I'm telling myself I'm worthy to be here. I'm not doubting that I deserve this. I know I deserve this. 
Public assistance was not a way I wanted to live my life, or nor what I wanted for my children. And I did the big cry and a lot of asking, why me? But that got me nothing but more paralyzed with fear. I needed adequate health benefits for the children and myself after the divorce, so I decided to enter the corporate world. I wasn't at all prepared for the politics of that. But I said to myself, I know people, I listen well, I will figure it out. I taught myself how to network, write grant proposals, desktop publish, among many other skills, and then went on to be the executive director of a hospital foundation. Today, I'm the president of a very large hospital foundation. I have owned my own home. I've remarried. I'm happy. I've got adult children. I have grandchildren. I was able to send my children to college back then. Yes, some of them took loans, but we made it work. We figured it out. When it comes to starting over, we have to start over in more than the tactile areas. Like, I'm going to look for a new job, or I'm going to look for a new partner, or I'm going to look for a new city to live in or a house. That's one thing, but the most important thing is the shift in the mindset that's going to make it the right choice for us, because I can't tell you how many clients I have that come to me, and I'm happy to help them because they don't understand the way out, who are used to just making change for the sake of change. They get a new job, and six months later, they're saying, I still feel the same way. I'm not happy. Why isn't this working? Or they move to a new city or they find a new partner and six months later, they're still in the same place mentally, emotionally. Life is holistic, mind, body, and spirit. We have to first recognize how the choices we are making are affecting us, where they're sitting in our body, what emotions are trapped there that we're not processing that are part of our imagination. Oh, I'm feeling trapped. I'm feeling frustrated. These are honest, true emotions tied to an imaginary thought or story that we tell ourselves that usually is not based in fact. It's usually based in assumptions and expectations. So I can remember back when my children were little thinking, I will never be able to send these kiddos to college. I'll be a failure as a mother. I used to lie in bed at night looking up at the ceiling saying, oh, please send me a prince. Send me a somebody that can rescue me from this, which was absolutely ludicrous because I was not any way compromised that I couldn't pull it together myself, but I didn't have the confidence at the time. And I was tired of feeling that way. So I made a conscious shift with an intention to have a different life. I remember sitting in the welfare office with my son next to me trying to sign up for welfare and the man looking at me and my son and I just thought, you know, I don't want to be here. There were a lot of people there who wanted to be there, who wanted the benefits. I didn't, but I was grateful for them. And he was very helpful and and he was one of the angels that helped me figure out the whole system that I knew nothing about that a lot of other people seemed to understand. And at the end of that process, I realized, okay, this is a short-term gig for me. I'm going to rely on this income 
to solidify my family and then I'm going to move on. Then I'm going to have a plan and that plan is going to take structure and discipline. And as a creative by nature, as a strategist by nature, that systems and processes of the left brain were not as natural to me. So I had to force them. I had to practice them. I had to put them into place. Okay, well, what would this look like in six months, in three months, in two months, in one month? Okay, what am I going to do now and backing into the goals? I had to be systematic about it, even though I already was strategic and visionary and could see where I wanted to be. The discipline of mindful practices, and this is what my clients and I work on, mindful daily practices are what gear you up to be prepared for the structure and the processes that it's going to take to make a shift in your life. So when you're meditating or praying or doing whatever mindful reading that you do to keep you centered, you may feel like, oh, this isn't productive or this is silly. It is not. These practices make you much more self-aware, make you able to see your thoughts, how they're affecting your emotions, how those emotions are affecting your actions, and interject so that the thinker is in charge and not the thought. That thought can carry you right down the funnel of this isn't going to work out. I'm never going to get any better at this. Why is this always happening to me? This isn't fair. Those thoughts are trap thoughts that happen when the thoughts are in charge instead of the thinker. So as I was struggling early on, I learned and interviewed. I was a newspaper reporter for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and I interviewed so many people over the years that I started to see some themes in people who were thriving and successful. And I put them in two categories. I say people who are happy, fulfilled, and successful in life have two qualities. Number one, they are fearless, not reckless. See, there's a difference. Reckless is I'll take no prisoners. I'm going to aim and fire without thinking, without planning. I'm just going to... No, fearless, not reckless means... I understand the cost that this could take. I understand what is necessary. It scares the living daylights out of me, but I am going to do it anyway. That's being fearless. Recognize, true fearlessness is recognizing the emotion behind what might hold you back and having the courage to move forward. That's fearless. And the number two trait is simply they figure things out or ask for help. They don't carry pride. Pride will not serve you. Pride gets in the way, dances in front of your face. That's the ego saying, oh, you're going to look bad. Oh, this isn't going to work out for you. Oh, you're going to embarrass yourself. Nope. They ask for help. They're like a sponge. They are soaking up as much information, as much experience, as much learning as they possibly can. Or they figure it out. They spend the time to sit down with all of the data they've collected, which has taken some time to corral that data and then look at it and plan. They don't just knee-jerk react. They're thoughtful about what they're doing. Okay, okay, so you want to make some changes in your life. But those changes scare you a little, right? They invigorate you a lot and the ambivalence sometimes paralyzes you. You just don't know if you can make it work, but you know you have the energy to make a difference. 
this feeling is very common in the clients that come to me because they have a lot of energy. They're very committed. They're not at all lazy or passive. They're very action-oriented. They just don't know what to do. What you don't realize is that you already have been through whatever you're going through right now before. Think about this for a second. You already did something for the first time when you first went to school, or you went off to college for the first time, or you got married for the first time, or you moved for the first time, or you did anything for the first time. But you did it. Think about your signature strengths that you leaned on in order to do that. Was it strategy? Was it resourcefulness? Was it connectivity? What of your strengths have you already drawn on in the past? Remember that first day of school? The first day of scouts? The first day of camp? Team tryouts? Starting a new job? You weren't sure if people would like you or they'd like your book bag. You couldn't count on getting played or picked for a team. You didn't know if that lonely feeling of standing out would ever go away, if there'd be any reward for this risk. How you met these challenges head-on is exactly how you will overcome any new challenge, including shifting your mindset. First, you taught yourself how to accept the situation. Okay, this is what is. I'm not going to be able to change this. I can differentiate between what I can change and what I can't. And once you learned to cope, you strategized for better success. Once you were able to accept things as they were, that's when you made the shift to make things work. Acceptance comes first so that your emotions aren't in the way. Then you're able to plan, and planning is imperative for success. Life is a little bit like the popular family game, Shoots and Ladders. This game is timeless and appeals to people of all ages because of one simple thing. There's no skill in winning. It's all by chance. The game doesn't require any logic or strategy, just luck. Preschoolers can beat their parents. Grandma, who has never played before, can beat the bully on the block on any given day. Players learn to follow basic rules, take turns, play cooperatively, all skills that did anyone in life any good. Life is sometimes like shoots and ladders. Sometimes it appears that others have all the luck. Sometimes you have the luck. That's chance. Luck is just chance. We don't leave things to chance. We leave things to intention and purpose. Luck and chance are what happens, but you are intentional and you are purposeful. Shoots and ladders began in ancient India where it was used to teach Hindu children about right and wrong. The basis of the ladders stood on squares that symbolized different types of good and then there were slippery snakes that snuck out from squares representing various types of evil. The literal usage of the good versus bad paradigm caught Victorian England's fancy, and in the late 19th century, the game was played throughout the United Kingdom. It was called <coughs> Snakes and Ladders back then, and every Victorian virtue, like patience, thrift, and industry, were the elements that shot a player up the ladders. 
The Chutes and Ladders we know today was copyrighted in 1870 and came to the United States shortly thereafter. In our childhood, Chutes and Ladders taught us a lot about coping with adversity that is beyond our control. The game contains twists and turns and the potential for good and bad surprises because the results of the spinning arrow are completely random. Progress through the tiers is luck-based, evening the odds for everything, evening the odds for everyone. Players move to squares that contain examples of good and bad deeds. Save a cat from a tree, climb a ladder, eat too much candy, or engage in scary bicycle antics. Get ready to plummet. The only safe thing to bet on is that the lessons will keep coming and coming, which is a lot like life. Players have an opportunity to learn good sportsmanship as they gain and lose extra ground suddenly to circumstances that are out of their control. A player may be rows ahead of other competitors only to land on a chute and have to slide back down to the bottom. There's no strategy here, no way to cheat, no way to outsmart opponents, no way to be unkind and have it matter. If you enjoy chutes and ladders, you've accepted that there are some things over which you have no control. You enjoy the ride, you laugh with your friends when you play the game, but that's all there is to it. It's just for fun. Many board games are that way. If the game frustrates you, then you haven't quite got to the acceptance point. But life is more than defining and accepting things out of our control. What is the next step? Once you've accepted what you cannot change, we work on how to get old habits out of the way, the old thoughts that used to frame what we can't control. And then you can create a plan that will bring you happiness and fulfillment, but we have to get that out of the way. Let's look at a scenario you may find familiar, okay? Meredith and Jessica are thrilled little third graders who are standing in line at the bus stop. Charlie shows up and cuts in front of them just before the bus opens its doors. He scales the steps two at a time and beats them to the last seat on the bus where the girls have sat every day since school began. Charlie throws his elbows up over the seat in front of him. Ha, got your seat, he sneers, leaning forward with a Charlie Cheshire cat grin. Meredith stands up so straight you thought she would have swallowed a poker and announces, Bus driver, Charlie Marks just stole our seat. She stomps her feet, walking to the back of the bus, pointing at Charlie. He cut in front of us in line and should go to the principal's office. Jessica, on the other hand, watches the bus driver sip his coffee from a shop that charges more for coffee than the price of her lunch. She slides into the seat in front of Charlie. Meredith, let's just sit here today. No way, says Meredith. That's our seat. More children file into the bus before it starts to pull away from the curb. Meredith is jostled down into the seat next to Jessica and lets out a sigh that would have put the big bad wolf to shame. I hate that Charlie Marks. And I'm going to tell his homeroom teacher what he did as soon as we get to school. He pokes his face between them and bellows, I'm so scared. Meredith starts twisting the key tags on her backpack until one breaks off. Jessica opens her backpack and starts flipping through her flashcards. There's a spelling test, first period, and she kept getting the word consume wrong last night when she was practicing. 
Who do you want to be in this story? Meredith is not able to accept or control the situation. She's heading down a chute. Charlie is controlling the situation, playing his own game. The bus driver is disinterested in the situation. He quit the game early. Meanwhile, Jessica chooses not to let having to change seats get in the way of what she needs to do. Study for the test. She's the only person on a ladder. Jessica realizes that the energy spent on fighting for a certain seat on the bus does not have anything to do with where she ultimately wants to be. She wants to get an A on the spelling test. Meredith probably wants that too. However, fighting with Charlie is easier and probably fulfills an emotional need that she harbors to either control or to be heard. Either way, fulfilling this emotional need is not going to get her an A on the spelling test. It's very clear. Do you want to be right or do you want to get it right? It's very easy to get distracted from goals with emotions that really do not have anything to do with where we want to be. They take us hostage. People do this because it's easier than focusing on something that is more intimidating. Owning your own accomplishments, owning your own emotions, owning those fears that scare you. You can fail at reaching goals. You can't fail at arguing. Anger is easier. So that's why we go there. Know the difference between your emotions and your goals. Get the shoots of your own negative emotions out of the way so that you can climb up the ladders to success. Make sure that what you are pursuing is a career, not a job. There is a distinct difference. That career might be starting your own business or it might be building a skill set that will equip you for higher management position or it might be going from director to vice president, vice president to senior vice president, senior vice president to CEO. Your job is what you are doing today. Your career is the trajectory of your working life's achievements to make a difference in people's lives, including yourself. It's the journey that makes you a must-have member of any team. The job you're doing today, right now, does not further you on your journey. It is time to look for another opportunity. That opportunity should be a career-building choice. A job is simply something you are currently doing to earn money and does not offer a lot of networking opportunities or reward. A career is a series of connected employment and networking opportunities where you build up skills to move you into higher pay, higher prestige, higher employment opportunities, higher connectivity, higher fulfillment for yourself. And when I say networking opportunities, I don't mean go to a meeting. I mean who are you connecting with via email, via LinkedIn, via other venues where you're just reaching out and touching base and staying informed with people, not isolating yourself? Most people do not stay with companies throughout their entire careers anymore, as they did maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, chances are the job you are doing today is not anything like what you will be doing in five years. And if you find that after a year, this is really important. You are still doing the same work that you were doing a year ago without opportunities to develop a broader set of skills or a broader network with other professionals. 
You may be in a dead-end job and you may find that you can easily be replaced by somebody younger who they can pay less. If your employment situation seems more like a job than a career, consider other opportunities. Consider talking to management where you are now. Tell them what it is that you want, but know what that is before you go into that meeting. Sit down and make a career plan for yourself. If you need one, email me. I can give you a template that I give people all the time. You can email me at maryleigh at maryleighgannon.com. I'm happy to send you that. Know what it is that you want for yourself. Don't have an accidental career. Conserve your energy to build your career development experience for yourself. Don't spend that energy in frustration or anger. You will want to be in a position where you can meet new people, develop relationships, broaden your network. You want to make an impression that will be noticed. Are you making the most of your current position? Consider two young people who take jobs lifeguarding at their local community pool. Lifeguarding might be like a fairly predictable job, right? Michelle shows up on time, works her shift, and when her shift is over, does her closing tasks and goes home. Clayton shows up 10 minutes early, picks up some trash around the pool deck, works his shift, asks the manager on his break if there is anything that needs to be done, does his closing tasks, and sticks around 15 minutes later to talk with the other guards and give a break to a snack bar employee who had worked extra time just to cover for someone else. Who do you think will be considered for the assistant manager position next year? Yes, you want to be that person. You want to be Clayton. You want to be who you are at your core because this whole concept of quiet quitting that is out there right now, don't foolishly assume that position. Quiet quitters will be quitting the rest of their lives. Quiet quitting serves no one. Quiet quitting, for those of you who don't know what it is, is when you say to your organization, I'm just going to stay in my job and do the minimal amount of what's expected of me because they're not recognizing me. They're not advancing me. They're not making me feel valued. Okay, maybe they're not. That's worth a discussion with your manager. And if it doesn't seem like it's going to change, then it's time for you to make a change. But when you passively, aggressively, passive aggressively, quiet quit and just sit in your role, you do yourself no service because then you're going to, uh, everything's mutually exclusive, right? You can't quiet quit and then think you're going to show up great in your relationship or show up great in your moxie for fixing up your house or organizing your closets or doing anything else that requires structure. No, we want to lead. We want to be whole. We want to be in touch with our emotions such that we show up best for ourselves. Quiet quitters are not showing up for themselves. They're weakly not making a choice to make a change. And that change could be just where you are. It might be the thought, the story in your head that you're telling yourself. So the point of all of this in summation is we start over all the time every day. Draw on the strengths that help you shine when you have had challenges in the past. When I went through this very difficult time that I described for you today, I had a very thick, strong dedication 
to figuring it out. Remember how I said of the two things that uh, most successful people have, I really focused on figuring it out. And I had to meet with people I didn't know. I had to ask for help. The very first CEO role I got was because I asked someone for help that I didn't even really know very well. But she understood my situation and she knew my reputation and my work. And I went right to the CEO role of an organization where I hadn't even worked in that industry before. I went from the interview to the bookstore and bought fundraising for dummies because I wasn't sure how I was going to do that job, but I knew I would figure it out because they weren't asking me to do surgery at that hospital. I could figure it out. So your resourcefulness might be your signature strength. You've got everything inside of you right now that you need. Everything inside of you that you need. I'm encouraging you to lean into the emotions, the scared, the difficult things that you feel when you think about stretching outside of your comfort zone and know that you've got this. You've done it before. You've started over before. You've got this. I have confidence in you. I know it. I'm glad you were with me today and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.